This week on Morbidly Intoxicated, we're going to tell you about the death of Lacey Peterson. Hey, you want to grab a drink? Hi, Sarah. Hi, Lily. So, uh, we just want to start by saying both of us know a lot about this case. Um, we're both pretty well versed. We mm. and very passionate about it. So, some would say obsessive, mainly towards Lily. Yes, I get into internet fights with people. Hi, Amy. I love that we've made your mom like our non-existent third host. <laughs> She's an enigma <laughs> at this point. We're going to have her on for an interview later, but oh, true. at this point, she's just a figment Y'all of our imagination. She's just a figment. <laughs> she's just an enigma. She doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. She's our imaginary friend. I'll get the salt. Stop. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about Lacey Peterson today and her death. We won't even touch on why we don't think Scott Peterson is guilty. Oh, we're going to spoil it for them? I'll cut well, that out. I guess we already did. I'll cut that we're going to tell them right now we don't think he's guilty so they can tune out if they don't want to hear the facts. Right. Don't hate us for that. This episode is just solely focused on Lacey. So are you ready to learn a whole lot about Lacey? I'm ready to learn. We didn't tell them. Oh, wait. We did tell them. We know, we know a lot about this case, both of us. We do. Yeah. We both know a lot about this case. I'm actually in a few uh, Scott Peterson groups like Scott Peterson Appeals. and feels horrid. Yes, Scott Peterson is innocent, and I got a lot of really good information off of there for our second episode. If you don't think he's innocent, we encourage you to check out our next week's episode. We'd love to hear your opinions. Yeah, we would. Well, as much as we say that I like to argue with people on the internet, I don't really argue. I just kind of, right. you know, say my opinion. <laughs> don't listen to her lies. Listen. <laughs> I want to say that while we're both very passionate about this case, Lily's a psycho. (laughs) (laughs) I swear, once a week you're like, look at what this person posted. I'm like, leave it alone. You don't have to comment. The injustice. The injustice. The wholehearted injustice. I think this is where that comes from, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because my... So my boyfriend asked why I was so obsessed with this case. And I just looked at him and I said, the injustice. (laughs) And so that's where I got the inspiration for our first episode title, which is the injustice of Paul Madrowski. It has become an inside joke. She picks a lot of Twitter fights. I do. People, I... You don't pick them. You just call them. (laughs) I pick, I comment when people are being belligerent and they're being rude. And or I'm like, when, hey. When they have the facts really wrong. Really wrong, yes. Like, super wrong. Because then I, I don't want people to read their posts and think that that's the truth. I'm like, hey. Like, I'm like, just saying nice and we're like, actually, that's not the report. Like, that's not what Yeah. Happened. And then I send links. You're but... spreading false information. Mm-hmm. And people get upset about that, too. But, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I... We're also just horrible people. So let's, let's get, get into, into it. it. Let's do it. So, Lacey was born and raised in Modesto, California, and to her friends and family, she was described as a ball of fire. Um, She was very smart, 
wasn't afraid to speak her mind, and her friends also said that she was very energetic and loved to talk. She was always upbeat and always positive. So she was just all around a very happy, bubbly person. Mm-hmm. We all know one of those people. I didn't know this, but she had attended California Polytechnic University in San Luis Obispo in 1993, and she studied ornamental horticulture. What? Yeah. Studied ornamental horticulture. That's like um, decorative plants, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love cacti <laughs> and succulents. I'm obsessed. So, yes, I know what ornamental horticulture is, and that's yes. really cool, actually. Yeah. I no, I know that you could major in that. I don't think she... Yeah. Makes sense. Well, I mean, you can major in, like, interior design and stuff, too. So I feel like it's kind of the same thing. True, 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 true. That's really cool. While attending school, she also worked as a waitress at a local restaurant, which is where she met Scott. Now, Scott was described as the all-American boy. He was an avid golfer who grew up in a typical middle-class family. Mm. Um, They started dating in college and were married two years later on August 9th of 1997. That was two days before my birthday. That's my insane. My August 11th, 97. So I guess like a day before my birthday. I was six months old when they got married. Dang. I know. So they both wanted the same things for their future, which included two kids and financial... St- st- <laughs> you look like Spongebob. Like Including two kids and financial stability. 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 Financial stability. After college, they moved back to Modesto, where Lacey could be closer to her family. She worked as a substitute teacher, while Scott managed and was a salesman for an international fertilizer company. When Lacey found out that she was pregnant in 2002, she immediately called her friends and family to give them the good news. Unfortunately, on December 24th, 2002, Lacey went missing. On this day, the police got a phone call from her stepfather, Ron Gransky, stating his stepdaughter was missing. Police met the family and friends at East La Loma Park, since this is where she normally walked the Peterson's dog, Mackenzie. They started to canvass the area, looking for Lacey, based on a tip that they had received from neighbors saying that they saw her walking Mackenzie that morning. They searched on foot and with helicopters. So they brought out the big guns. Mm-hmm. Al Burkini was one of the head detectives on this case. And I just want to let... name gives me a visceral reaction. Yes, I just want to let everyone know I fucking hate Al Burkini. In my notes while I was researching this, I swear I wrote, like, fuck Burkini three <laughs> times at least. Like, doodling hate messages. Yes, exactly. I, f- I fucking hate Al Burkini. So he was the lead detective on this case. He thought Scott was acting strange and brought him back to the station to get uh, Scott's timeline on things around 1 a.m. on Christmas Day. He said this was not an investigation. Bullshit. First of all. That's important. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is the timeline that Scott gave. Lacey woke up and ate breakfast. He stayed in bed until about 8 a.m., showered, and then watched Martha Stewart with Lacey. Scott had said he last saw Lacey at about 9.30 a.m. when he left to go fishing. Before he left, Lacey said she was going to mop and then walk their dog. So after he had left the house, he went to pick up a new boat he bought from his warehouse, checked his work email, built some tool in in his warehouse, 
and then went to the marina. His marina ticket showed that he got there around almost one. He drove to the Berkeley Marina about 90 miles away and took his boat out for about an hour and a half. So that would have put him at like 3.30 is when he was getting off. He called Lacey when he was leaving and got her voicemail, so he left her a message, which is the the famous Hey Beautiful call. Mm-hmm. You've heard that call, right? A million times. Do you want to kind of describe what it says? So basically, he calls her, he says, Hey Beautiful, uh, just got done at the marina. Won't have time to pick up the basket for your parents. Yeah. Uh, should be home soon. Mm-hmm. And I think call me when you get this message or see see you soon or something like that. Yeah. He leaves, uh, leaves her that message. He returned home. He showered, threw his clothes in the laundry, and went to grab a snack. <laughs> a snack. A snack. Went to get a snack. A little snack. Like my, my juice box. <laughs> he grabbed like a... I think it was a cup of milk and a slice of pizza. What a fucking weirdo. Yeah, I don't know. Toki. So, uh, while he was grabbing his snack, he checked their voicemail because he saw the little blinking light. Remember, this is 2002, so they have, like, that answering machine? Mm -hmm. When he checked the voicemail, it was Lacey's mom. And I don't remember what she had said, but she was leaving a message for Lacey, and he was like, oh, that's a little weird. You know? That she hasn't got it yet. Yeah. Because when he saw that Lacey wasn't home, but her car was in the driveway, he assumed that the mom had picked Lacey up. Because, you know, at this point, she's eight and a half months pregnant. Mm-hmm. This, she, too, wasn't this when he noticed that the dog was in the backyard with the leash on? And the mop bucket was out? You know, I think he realized that as he was walking into the house. Yeah. I'm just given like, a basic timeline. Okay. He immediately called Sharon uh, Rocha, which is Lacey's mother. He got a hold of Sharon, and she said, no, I don't have Lacey. You know what's going on, Scott? And he immediately said, Lacey's missing, which the cops thought was a weird thing to immediately say, but I don't think so. I don't find that weird because I think I would have the same reaction. Right. Like, whether it's my roommate, my husband, whatever, if I came home... And I'm, my sisters don't actually have us or anything like that, too. We came home. My mom wasn't there. And yeah. She should have been home. Mm-hmm. And then no one could get a hold of her. I'm like, I couldn't get a hold of her. And so I called her. And and sometimes you say in passing, too, they're like, I'm like, hey, have you talked to mom? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, she's missing. And yeah, like, exactly. What do you mean? I'm like, well, she's supposed to be home. And they're like, okay, let me try to call her, you know? It's not like you're like, oh, she's missing. Like, somebody you just kidnapped say it in her. It's like, yeah. hey, have you seen my keys? No. Okay, well, they're missing. Right. Like, I don't I don't view that as this big damning thing that everyone seems to think it is. No, that's exactly what I think too. Like she she was missing. He wasn't like, "Oh, she's been kidnapped." Like Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something like that. No, she he said, "She's missing." After he got off the phone with Sharon, he went around knocking on neighbors' houses asking if if they had seen Lacey. And then he even took Mackenzie into the park to go look for Lacey. Oh, okay. So after he had knocked on all these these houses, and this is where you get the contradicting statement where he says he went golfing. He knocked on a neighbor's house and the neighbor had said, Scott said he went golfing and came home and couldn't find Lacey. Oh, I never heard that one. Yeah. I heard everything about the marina because all of that. Yeah. I didn't know he went knocking on houses either. I never heard that before. Yeah. So he knocked on a couple neighbor's houses. Um, I had never heard that either until I was reading Matt Dalton's book, oh. Presumed Guilty. 
And Matt Dalton was his defense attorney's kind of like detective. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he was hired by the defense attorney or worked with the defense attorney, Mark Griegos. And he basically conducted his own investigation. Mm -hmm. Around this time is when Lacey's stepfather called the police and they met the family at the park. They then did a sweep of the Peterson house with Scott's permission. Brokini brought Scott into the station to get his timeline straight. So this is bringing us to where the detectives all caught up because it that's Scott's timeline from the time he woke up to the time he was brought into the station, right? Okay. During the questioning, Brokini asked if Scott had ever fired a gun at all that day, which I thought was weird considering he was fishing and you don't fish with a shotgun or any type of gun. Well, listen, I know a lot of rednecks. I can't guarantee that you don't fish with a shotgun. If you go shooting with a shotgun, you might be a redneck. <laughs> fishing. You go shooting with a shotgun. You go fishing with a shotgun. Uh, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. You've, have you ever seen? Have you ever seen that comedian? Mm, who is it? I think it's Larry the Cable Guy. Oh, I haven't really watched it. But... Oh, it's funny. That's his whole thing. He's like, says something. He's like, that you might be a redneck. Yeah, I've heard that joke before. Okay. So, Brokini took swabs of Scott's hands for GSR uh, when he noticed a cut on Scott's hand. That's gunshot residue. Yes, for anyone that doesn't know. So, he asked Scott about the cut, which he replied and said he got the cut from reaching into his tool bag. Okay. Which I think, again, makes sense. He was asked to take a polygraph. He agreed, but then later after talking to his dad and lawyer said that he wasn't going to take the test after all. Smart. Never take a polygraph test. No. Ever. They're inadmissible in court anyway, so what's the point? And also, it's a a character statement is what they use polygraphs for, but they can't even present it in court. No. They just don't take a polygraph, guys. No. I feel like it's just used to sway the jury, honestly. But they can't bring it up in court. Really? They use it... Like, police tend to use it to solidify their own theories, mm. but it is so easy to pass or fail a polygraph test. Yeah, exactly. And if you have, like, I have a condition that affects my heart, so my results would be all over the place. Yeah, they'd be all like, inconclusive. Or I could pass something, or I could fail it, and I have absolutely nothing to do with anything. Like, right. Don't take a polygraph. No. So, the police then got a warrant to search the Peterson residence on December 26th and the 27th, which is when they then took items from the house that they thought would be evidence. And I will go over what those items were in the second episode. This is just pretty much focusing on Lacey. Oh, I forgot to mention, when they were doing the initial sweep of the house, Al Brocchini saw that their comforter had a little indent on it, like someone had sat on the bed. Uh And he thought that was strange. Because... (laughs) Yeah, I laughed at that so hard. I was like, how? <laughs> That's some grade A detective work right there. I know, I was literally... Why would you sit on your bed and not your couch? His reasoning was if they got up in the morning and made their bed and Scott got... <laughs> I'm trying to bear with you on this Oh my bed. gosh. I, I want to hear this one. Okay. His reasoning was if they woke up in the morning and made the bed and Scott got home from fishing and immediately took a shower and then grabbed a snack, he would not have sat down on the bed. (laughs) 
He said nobody should have sat down on that bed. I didn't know you made the rules about bed sitting. Yes, and there's... You get up, you make the bed. I sit down on the bed to put my shoes on. Mm-hmm. Or to get dressed. Like, Scott got a shower. I would have sat down to get dressed. Yeah. Like... I don't know. I just... Yeah, I always, like, sit down on the bed afterwards. Well, and I was also thinking if Lacey was, you know... In the house. Still, after Scott had left, because he got up at 8 a.m., so it's presumed he made the bed at 8 a.m. What the fuck? I... Because she was in the house. She was, yes. like, meandering around the house. Until She's about eight 10. months pregnant. Yeah. Maybe she went to their room and then was like, I'm gonna sit down because I'm eight months pregnant. Right. Or, like... Or she was putting on her yeah, walking shoes her or shoes something. Or, or trying to adjust her pants. She's eight months pregnant. Right. Like, she's not bending over doing stuff like that. I'll get into his whole... That's... That's just... Do they teach you that in detector school? Right. <laughs> I'll no get... one should be sitting on the bed. No. Gotcha. Two hours after they made it, nobody. Like... I'm gonna start yelling at Jack for that. Like, okay. Don't sit on the bed. Please do. I just made that. I know. He's <laughs> gonna like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Some detective's gonna come in Go here. Go find a chair. Go find a chair. Go find a chair. Sit on the couch. <laughs> sit on the floor. I don't care. <laughs> I fucking hate Al Brokini. I hope he listens to this. Like, fuck you. <laughs> He's, like, going through all the podcasts to find someone that likes him. I know. <laughs> like, God damn it. Another one. Well, JonBenet's brother goes through and listens to, like, almost everything, and he sends, like, season assist to a whole bunch of fucking people. Oh, I have thoughts about that. I have so many thoughts about that. We'll get into it because oh, this really? is not this is Are not you the like episode. About them? <laughs> oh, I know. I was like, okay, dude, come on. Guilty. We're gonna get we're gonna get season assist letter. All right. <laughs> okay, send me a season assist letter. Right. Those don't really do anything, anyways. No. For the record. No. So sue me for defamation. Go for it. So we'll get into the prosecution's theory later. Okay. I'll tell you that later when we get to the trial. On December 28th, authorities searched the water at the Berkeley Marina for the first time, and they came up with nothing. 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 So, I know the marina's, like, pretty large, and I've got pictures, actually. And they used divers for that one, didn't they? They did. They used divers, and they used, um... They, like, dragged it? Or mm-hmm. They did the boat thing. I don't remember. Oh, okay, yeah, so... Because I know they used divers, like, twice or something like that. And then I think they did also drag the marina. Oh, do you want to see the indent on the bed? That. They did not photograph it as evidence. They did. You're fucking kidding me. I literally, I was what? like, where? Where is that indent? I they're see, they're I see saying it. it's this. right here. Yeah. Right on the edge of the bed where someone would sit if they were eight months pregnant and putting on their shoes. Mm-hmm. To go walk their dog. Listen, I'm all for photographing every aspect of a crime, potential crime scene or crime scene. That's ridiculous. But that's a stretch, right? Oh, yeah. We're, oh, you make the laws of what I can do with my bed? Right. What if I didn't even make it? <gasps> <laughs> what if he just kind of threw it on? Like, that's the thing. He threw it on, he, like, patted it or something. Yeah, like... but he, you expected him to be able to bounce a quarter off of it? Right. He's in the military I, now? I don't know. So, going back to December 27th, this is when the police receive a tip that there was a robbery across the street from the Peterson house. Mm-hmm. This was around the time that Lacey went missing. Okay. Because they're saying it happened on the 24th. 
So the Medinas left for vacation on December 24th at around 10.30 a.m. and returned on December 26th. This is when they noticed that their back door was kicked open and the safe was missing. Police held a press conference, asking anyone with information to come forward to possibly help aid in the Peterson case. Lacey's parents also addressed the public. This is also when they were on Scott's side. So they thought Scott had nothing to do with it. They knew that the police were looking heavily into Scott. And Lacey's mother even had said, like, no, if you knew Scott Peterson, like, we know him, you know that he would never do anything like this. <laughs> they spoke to the public asking that whoever had their daughter to bring her back alive. And this was really heart-wrenching to watch because the father just broke. He yeah. broke down. He sobbed. Ugh. It was so, oh, it's heart-wrenching. At this point, the police are starting to scramble because they have no leads, the tips aren't panning out, you know, and they have no evidence against Scott Peterson. Police followed every single tip that seemed plausible. Every single one, they went and followed it. And this is when the media started to pick up the story. Suspicious. Yeah, them suspicious. following every tip that they've gotten. <laughs> yeah, so everyone that seemed plausible at least. But I don't know how true that is. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to talk about it. This is like the sloppiest police work I've ever seen. I'm pretty sure I wrote that in my notes too. Like be giving some other people some some credit. Around December 31st, the police stated they were searching for any evidence of foul play and their main focus was on Scott. They announced that in a press conference? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they stated it. I don't know if it was a press conference, but they were like, we don't think that, you know, she... She went missing. She walked away because yeah. that was so plausible things too. Circumstances, right? They even thought that Lacey had something wrong with her baby, and somebody had came and got her and took her to the hospital, and she just hadn't been able to get a hold of her family. They didn't know if anything happened to Lacey and the baby at first, but now they're saying that it's under suspicious. Circumstances. Yes, now they're saying they're looking for ev- any evidence of foul play and their and main Scott's a suspect. Yes, their main focus is Scott. So, the first journalist on the scene is Ted Rollins and he said he tried to get an interview with Scott, but he wanted nothing to do with the journalist. I don't blame him and I don't think that's suspicious. I don't either. But Ted had said he was convinced that Scott had something to do with his wife's wife's disappearance. He asked Scott for a statement, and he said, don't put me on camera. In the ID documentary, Rollins said, I thought it was weird because the spouse generally wants all the press they can get, end quote. I pulled that straight from the documentary. It was because in the ID documentaries, they interview every single person, not every single person, but the actual people that were involved in that case. So there's Al Brocchini, which we'll get into, um... Matthew Dalton, Mark Gregos, uh, Amber Fry. At this point, police bring Scott back to validate his alibi one last time, and they also took his story uh, to the press to see if anyone would come forward and say that they saw Scott in his boat, or what was on his boat. It was a tiny boat. I'm just gonna start (laughs) off with that. It was a tiny boat. Just a little boat. So if there was anything in it, people would have seen it. Going back to December 29th, police got the call from who they would say is their biggest break in the case. And that's Amber Fry. And before you comment, we're going to take a break. 
We're gonna take a break. She went to commercial. We're gonna take a break and then. What are you, Ryan Seacrest? We're gonna come back to Amber Fry. Find out who's in the bottom two. Amber Fry. (laughs) Oh, but I can't do the boogies. (laughs) What the hell was that? Okay, we'll be right back. Are you trying to create a podcast but don't have the money for all the equipment it takes? Maybe not so great with all the editing. Not sure how to distribute your podcast once you have everything recorded? Well, look no further because Anchor is here to help. Anchor is the easiest way to make podcasts. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer or phone. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And best of all, it's free. We looked at so many different distribution websites before finding Anchor and wish we had found it sooner. They even set you up with sponsors they think will fit the vibe of your podcast, which you can accept or decline at any time. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy Happy podcasting! Hi guys, we're back. So, we're going to talk about Amber Fry. Aren't we though? And you're making a face at me. No, my nose is itching. (laughs) But also, it's relevant. Okay. So, Amber Fry was a massage therapist and single mother who lived about 100 miles away from Modesto. That's a long ways. So, she came forward saying her and Scott were having an affair, but he told her that he was single. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So, this is where you see the famous Christmas party photo of Scott and Amber next to the picture of Lacey at a, uh, another family Christmas party by herself. Which was happening at the same time. Yes, and you've seen those pictures. Oh, yeah. I don't need to show you those. No. We'll post those, though. Yeah. Ooh, do I have some things to say about Amber Fry next episode? Ooh. Hang in there, guys. Ooh. They're probably like, oh, next episode. Uh-huh, I know. But just you wait. It'll be worth it. So, on December 29th, 2002, Amber received a call from her friend who said she needed to see something. So, Amber's friend went over right away and brought her a newspaper article about Lacey Peterson. So, that was what I was going to say earlier when he was like, don't put me on camera. Because he knows he's having an affair. Uh Uh-huh. And he doesn't want her to find out. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily because he killed his wife. Yeah, exactly. Which, obviously, no one else knows that, so it makes him look more suspicious. Yeah. I will just say, really quick, he had more than one affair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. So, Amber Fry was not the first woman. I didn't find out about that until later. Like, way later, because they only focused on Amber Fry. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Amber Fry was the only one that came forward, but... Which is weird, because normally stuff like that brings out all the people in the woodworks. Mm Mm-hmm. This is when Amber Fry started to suspect that the Scott in the newspaper was her Scott that she was dating, and she contacted police immediately on the 29th. Give her props on them. Yeah, exactly. That was good on her, but she fucking sucks, so... Oh, shit. What do I not know? I... She's crazy, dude. She's literally crazy. Oh, I'm so ready. She's crazy. I'll just give you guys a little hint, or a little smidgen... A tidbit. A tidbit. Um, Matt Dalton, he actually interviewed Amber Fry's family, and the sister said that she would fall in and out of love like that. Mm-hmm. So after their first date, she was in love with Scott. I think that Christmas photo was like their second or third date. It was not. 
anything serious. And mm-hmm. she she was infatuated. She would get infatuated with men. So this is why I think she kind of overplays it. Mm. Right? She was talking to a dispatcher when Alberkini walked by and overheard the conversation and immediately grabbed the phone and started talking to Amber, who then told Alberkini what she had suspected, which is when him and his partner, John Bueller, headed to Amber's house that day, the 29th, and got her all set up with recording um, devices, like plugged her phone in so she could record and showed her how to set everything up. Yeah. As soon as they got everything plugged in, Scott immediately calls. And they're like, oh my god, is he really calling right now? The call was insignificant. It was just like, Amber, Amber, I miss you. Whatever. Talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. Whatever. She goes on to record a few phone calls, which the prosecution used against Scott in court. One that stood out was the call to Amber on the day of Lacey's vigil. So they had a candlelight vigil in the Isla Loma part where she normally walked Mackenzie. This is a huge, like, a huge point that everyone who thinks he's guilty makes. Mm -hmm. This is, like, the phone call. The prosecution banked on this entire... Phone call. Yes. Well, this entire day. Yeah. And Amber Fry in general. And I've I've, uh, listened to another podcast that I am so sorry, I don't remember. But I learned on that one that there's, like, 20-some-odd hours of phone call. Oh, yeah. That they played in court. Like, yeah, there's way more that I hadn't even heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. On this day, while at the memorial, or the vigil, I'm sorry, while at the vigil, he called Amber saying that he was in Paris and that he was looking at the Eiffel Tower. And wasn't that New Year's? Or right around New Year's? It was, yeah, it was right around New Year's. Yeah, because in yeah. the phone call he talks about, like, how, how was your New Year? And yeah, yeah, it was, I think their vigil was, her vigil was December 31st, yeah, honestly. Yeah, I think, yeah. So, calls and says, you know, I'm looking at the Eiffel Tower and I just wanted to call you to say Happy New Year and I'll call you tomorrow. I'm with my friends, we're having a really good time, mm-hmm. I need a time away. She goes, well, that's good, you know, I'm I'm glad. Miss you. Yeah. They don't even say love you. Yeah, mm-hmm. she asked what his friends' names were, and he was like, oh, and he, like, spit off some, like, French names. No, he said he was, he offered the names. He said he was with one of his friends that Amber had already met. I think it was the friend that had set oh. them up. Yeah. And there was also one that was, like, wasn't Pierre or something. I could have swore she was like, what was their names again? Maybe. I, d- I don't remember you that. You know what annoys me the most about that call? We should find the audio too and link it. But yeah. Is because he pretends like he has poor service because he's in Paris. Uh, quote unquote Paris. And it's like 2002 as uh-huh. well. So it's like phone service did suck. But what drives me insane is if you listen to audio, he constantly just is like, Amber, Amber, Amber. 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 Oh Are you there? Amber, Amber. I'm like, stop saying her name. Who says that? He sounds like my ex-boyfriend and it drives me insane. <laughs> I'm like, ew. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think anyone's ever said my name that much. He, I. My boyfriend doesn't even say my name. I swear. <laughs> I know, like, Robert. Hey. No, Robert <laughs> doesn't either. He calls me like, just nicknames. Yeah, they're like, oh, Sierra. And I'm like. You're like, ew, Cocker. don't say that. You're like, what? Right. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. I like. I actually like it, but <laughs> it's like weird that people. I like to picture Scott like holding his little flip phone as he's like rubbing the bottom of it. Right. Or like crinkling <laughs> a chip bag. Amber, 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 Amber are you Amber. there? I'm like, stop. 
it's so obnoxious and she's like yeah i'm here can you hear me and i'm like you're like ew shut the fuck like, up like the fact that you went through all that is really annoying it's definitely weird but i think it's just he was a player and he wants to keep his relationship so yeah i mean um, he's just he's a douche but he's a oh god he's a douche and he's full of it but that's, that phone call is so obnoxious and hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. With him. And the way he sounds is nothing like you would imagine him sounding. Amber. No. He, he has a very um, high voice, honestly. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. So, <laughs> he's in prison. I'm here to he's never going to hear this. this. He's what? He's, he's, not he's in prison. He's never going to hear this. Yeah. Spoiler alert. No, I'm oh. <laughs> 2002. Right. I know. <laughs> this was alarming to police because he was at his wife's vigil when he was calling his mistress mm-hmm. i don't know if i would call her that's mistress. Up, yeah on this day the press had also snapped some pictures of him smiling with family which i i wanted to tell a story because i so you had a funeral for your dad mm-hmm. right we went to um i don't know if this will be the same experience but we had a, a wake for robert's great aunt mm-hmm. who had passed away and there were, you know, there were tears that were shed and everything like that, the normal reaction, but we are, will blah, blah, blah. but we were also kind of standing around sharing stories and everyone was like kind of laughing or they'd say something and somebody would smile because it would remind them of Beverly. Yeah. And I don't, I honestly, him smiling, it doesn't seem weird to me. No. Because especially the photo they snapped, he was smiling while he was talking to one of his family members or it talking was, to a child. Yeah, it was like his four-year-old niece and yeah. she had just said something cute and he like mm-hmm. smiled like caring at her. Yeah. And even his family members had made comments. They're like, oh, it was like a sweet moment shared. Like we mm-hmm. were all smiling. Yeah. And yeah, it's the same way. Like I swear, my family puts the fun in funeral. <laughs> like that's the one time that like, <laughs> love you all, love you all. But like that's love the one time all. that there's no drama because we're like, we we're civil enough to be like, someone just died. Mm-hmm. But we have so much fun because yeah when you're sitting at the service it's emotional and you're oh, hearing yeah. eulogies and you're crying but afterwards we're like do you remember that one time they did the stupidest thing yes and everyone's cracking up mm-hmm. and having fun and all of that and so it's like well even- i don't find it weird i don't no i don't think that funerals should be so somber because like no. i'm i'm not a person that really likes the celebration of life um thing because mm-hmm. that's just me yeah but, like, I think it should be about remembering the good memories, you know? Yeah. No I don't think that that photo was so obnoxiously weird. I'm like... No, absolutely not. I think you can find photos of us all at funerals and my family smiling. Right. Well, and you know what? I I was just thinking about this. In, in Mexico, they have Dia de los Muertos, and that's literally a celebration for the dead. Like, yeah, it's the dead. That's them remembering the dead. Yeah, it translates to Day of the Dead. And they they throw parties. A, oh yeah, it's a giant festival. It's huge, and and they like leave offerings and they do mm-hmm. celebrations and and yes, yeah. it's sad, but they smile and they say we get to remember our family members on this yeah, day. Yeah, and it's ugh, just right. shout out because it's beautiful. It is. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. It's very beautiful. But they did it online this year, actually, oh, which did was they? really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is cool. Yeah, and so it honestly none of that, none of that. That doesn't... Vigil makes me think that he's guilty. No. It doesn't... 
I don't find the photo weird. I find it <laughs> shady that he called his mistress at his wife's vigil. That's just, like, yes. fucked up. Mm-hmm. But does that make him a murderer? Oh, at this point, Scott doesn't know that the police know, by the way, about, about Amber, Amber Fry. Yeah. Amber's working with the police mm-hmm. behind the scenes and agreed to record the phone calls, but he doesn't know. So since the 29th, so keep that in your head. The 29th of December. So, on January 14th of 2003, this is when police, friends, and family expand their search for Lacey into Southern California. Mm -hmm. So, about a week later, Scott and his family go to L.A. and they start passing out flyers, you know, asking if people have seen Lacey, if they've heard about it, or if anyone they know knows anything. Mm -hmm. And so, they're actively doing their part. A few days after they were in L.A., Scott then came forward to the police, so I'd say around the end of January. He came forward to the police and told them that he was seeing another woman while he was married. That next day, Amber Fry spoke at a press conference, and that was the big nail in the coffin. It was, ugh, it was such a big deal to everybody. Yeah, because the, the fucking investigators put on a show oh they did oh it came out it was like like blah 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 scott peterson the basic Mm -hmm. um press conference stuff and then they're like oh by the way Mm -hmm. mistress it was literally a whole show oh it was and then she comes out and she looks all like clean and like somber and i'm like what is this she was she was all dressed up she was so dressed up i felt like it was like it was this lifetime Right. It was so dramatic. Like, she, normally, I've seen cases and they're just like, we have a new lead in the case, mm-hmm. we have a witness who came forward and says that she's been having an affair with Scott, she'd like to make a statement. Like that. But they were literally like, and also, we have some news for you. And then Amber Fry walks, <laughs> walks through a curtain. Walks out from behind a damn curtain. Yeah. In a pencil skirt and a blazer and some high heels. Yeah, and, and she's got this paper statement. Mm-hmm. I just, I hated the show they made of it. Like, I get that that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. That's a character statement, though. Yeah, exactly. So that's there, not... Like... That's not any evidence. I it's mean, It's not evidence. It's a character statement. Even in the phone calls that she got, because police were like, see if you can get him to confess. See if you can get him to confess. He did confess that he had a wife and that it was the first Christmas without her. Shady. Shady. I will say that. Yes. But he never... He never admitted to it. Never. Or anything involved no. with it at all. Knowing anything. She even straight up asked, do you know where your wife is? And he said, no. No. And at that point, he had nothing to lie about. This is when the media went wild. And also when Lacey's family started to suspect Scott. So as soon as they found mm-hmm. out about Amber Fry, they turned on him. They pointed out that Scott had sold Lacey's car and had considered selling the home almost immediately after she... I do remember hearing about that. Yeah. Which, I don't know, it does seem weird. I don't know if he was gathering money to help fund, you know, yeah, that their was, um, resources. Was it immediately after she went missing? Or it wasn't I don't think. No, no, no. It, it wasn't was like, like the clo- day. Too close for other people's preference, I guess. Yeah, it was probably like like the end of January. Like I said, I, I don't know. Say, that's a month later. So mm-hmm. when my dad passed, we got rid of his truck about a month later. I mean, he drove a new expensive truck. I don't know about her car, but, like... Yeah. You know, you can keep that on your insurance and making the payments. 
No, because of sentimental value. (laughs) Especially if it's been, like, I know this is terrible and I'm not trying to call anybody anybody out that had, you know, someone in their life go missing, but, like, if you, if it's been a month and you still have all that, like, her car and you're still making all these payments. That's completely different than, like, packing up all her clothes and giving it to Goodwill. Like, that's totally different. You would suspend the payments. My thought process is he sold it to either pay it off so he didn't have that minimum payment or he sold it to help pay for his expense to go to LA and to pass out all these flyers and to... Yeah, I think it had... Yeah. And I think that that is what he told investigators later. I believe so. Is that he used used the money to help with finding her. So, that was that. Um, February 10th, which was Lacey's due date, came and went and there was still no sign of either her or Connor, which was the baby. Mm Mm-hmm. February 17th is when Scott's mother came forward and said her and her family believed that kidnappers took Lacey and were keeping her until she had given birth. I don't know where she got that. I don't... Yeah, where did that come from? I don't know. Information? Um, I don't have the specific site, but I got a lot of this information from um, the ID documentary. I got a lot of it from Presumed Guilty, which is the book that Matthew Dalton wrote. And then I got a lot of it from, like, the Modesto Bee, which is their local Mm -hmm. newspaper. Yeah. Fox News, stuff like that. So, like, credible... Yeah, credible sources. Yeah, I'm not pulling it out of... uh, Yeah. Wikipedia. (laughs) Right. No, it just... I did a deep dive for a lot of this. So, that was Scott's mom that came forward and said... Mm -hmm. I actually think I do remember hearing that information somewhere. Mm Mm-hmm. During the month of March, police declare Lacey's case a homicide and search the the Berkeley Marina again, still finding nothing. This was in March. In March. March. Quite a bit of time passed before Lacey and Connor's bodies had washed up on April 13th of 2003. So that's two to three times they had searched the marina Mm -hmm. and found nothing. Yep. First, a male fetus had washed up at the San Francisco Bay Beach. The next day, an unidentified female torso, just the torso, washed up a mile from where the fetus was found. Through DNA, the police identified that the bodies were Lacey and Connor Peterson. Before the bodies had been identified, detectives were already on the lookout for Scott. They were already headed to arrest him, right? No. No? Oh. No, they had just put a tracker on his car. What? Yeah, they put a tracker on his car before the bodies had washed up and were identified. They started following Scott to see if he was even heading for Mexico. So they followed him for quite a distance. Uh, This is when detectives said he was driving sporadically. What's that even mean? So they... Swerving around the road? (laughs) Yeah, so they claimed he was driving at 80 miles an hour. (laughs) Okay. Which I think he was on the freeway. I really do. I think he was on the freeway. So the speed everyone else drives. Right. And he would slam on his brakes and he pulled over. He would pull over. I okay, think... I'd say that was a little bit sporadic. Yeah, that one was a little bit sporadic. <laughs> what you doing there? Once they had pulled him over, what they found in his car, again, put the nail in the coffin for police. This was the big, another big break in the case for them. Um, so Scott's car contained a rope, knives... Four cell phones, which it doesn't look like four cell phones, and I'll show you a picture. Okay. Camping supplies, children's books, pictures of him and Lacey, 
14 to 15 thousand dollars in cash hiking boots a shovel his brother's id and a fishing pole they also noticed that he had colored his hair eyebrows and beard blonde they also found about a dozen viagra pills in baggies that's the one that really gets me that's the kicker for me that podcast i mentioned earlier is called true crime all the time and on that podcast i heard them also say that he had a printed navigation directions to amber fry's workplace i don't know where they got that information because they also listed everything else that you listed so i'm not really sure but that's suspicious yeah all oh, those shit he already had is suspicious i will i will give everyone that one that's weird yeah So, on April 18th of 2003, Scott was charged with capital murder and sent to jail. His trial lasted what seemed to be an eternity, which ended in a life sentence and death row of first-degree murder of Lacey Peterson and second-degree murder of Connor Peterson. Don't get me started on the double homicide charge. She just eye-rolled so hard. I'm sorry, just don't get me started on that. So, he's still currently in prison at San Quentin State State Prison. Um, however, his death penalty has been taken off the table, and that was 2020, right? It was 2020? Um, so, the Supreme Court affirmed Scott's guilty verdict and reversed his death sentence. So, they refused his appeal for a new trial mm-hmm. on the guilty verdict, okay. but they reversed his death sentence. Okay. And so, now, obviously... The opposite side is trying to retry him, retry him in the penalty phase to have his death sentence restated. I feel like they shouldn't be able to do that. Well, that's how the judicial system works. I know. <laughs> and then he has a habeas petition in right now. Okay. Um, that can also get him a new trial. Okay. It's a lot of waiting at this point. Yeah. So, uh... Always. So... It's been 16 years since Scott was sentenced to prison. 16 years have passed since his defense attorney failed him. In our next episode, we go over the case with a fine-tooth comb, but you needed to hear Lacey's story first. Tune in next week for all the details. When we do a deep dive. Talk to you later. See See you next Saturday. Morbidly Intoxicated is hosted by Lily Bishop and Sarah Lawson. Recording and production by Robert Shepard. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Morbidly Intoxicated Pod for updates and photos from the cases we cover. If you liked our show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Theme music was written by Taylor Hertz. His website is taylorhertz, spelled T-A-Y-L-O-R-H-E-R-T-Z dot com. Artwork was done by Kelly Carroll, who you can find on Instagram at artbykelly, Kelly spelled K-E-L-L-I, Photos done by Javi Romero. His Instagram is at Orange Hobby. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Morbidly Intoxicated. <laughs>